John chapter 1 from verses 19 to 51. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah in the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptise if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptise with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany, on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptising. The next day... John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptising with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, and I myself did not know him. But the one who sent me to baptise with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptise with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and they, sat, and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas which was translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, 
Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Thank you, Karen. Amazing gospel, the gospel of John, isn't it? When I was at college, I remember the college lecturer quoted someone, I forget who it was, who he quoted, but he said that the gospel of John's been described as a pool that elephants can swim in and a puddle that children can play in. It's amazing, isn't it? I think that was well said, and I think it describes this gospel. In fact, the whole scripture, I guess, that way too. Just wanted to mention earlier that Rosemary has sent her regards and blessing. Um, my wife was unexpectedly called urgently up to one of our nursing homes at north, up the north coast. And uh, yeah, it was an unexpected call, so she's up there until Thursday at Bundaberg and then she's got to go up to Rockhampton. Uh, so that's where she is in case anybody's wondering. Um, let's just continue to pray. Father, we continuing in this whole service of worship this morning and thank you that it's an act of worship from the start to the finish and, and even as we walk out of here we can still be in attitude of worship and standing in awe of your presence Lord and we stand in awe of your word today Lord and just know that your word comes from an infinite God how can we really grapple with this scripture so please help us Father please may there be something for us from your scripture today we know there will be You've blessed your word and so we don't have to ask you to bless it again. You've already done that and uh, we just ask that you give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to receive all that you want to say, do in our midst here this morning. And we'll give you all the glory and the praise. Amen. Um, <clears throat> so in the past few weeks, uh, for those of you who have been amongst us, um, since uh, Focus Sunday when Pastor Darrell brought those messages um, We've been learning about the fact that, uh, that God is at work in the world. Uh, he's always been at work in the world since the creation of the world. And God did not just simply create things and set things in motion and then kind of withdraw into heaven and just let the universe run on its own. There are some people who think that. No, it's not true, but, but he has in fact been here. God has been and he continues to be actively involved with the events of the world, past, present and future events of the world. The world that he created and sustains by his powerful word. Isn't that fantastic? He sustains by his powerful word, says the writer of Hebrews in, one, in, in chapter 1 verse 3. And this also includes, get this, this also includes your life and mine. God created it. God sustains it by his powerful word. I think that's awesome. You see, because the other amazing truth that we've been looking at 
is that this same God chooses to use people. Why would God want to choose to use things, people, or creatures like us? But he chooses to use people, people just like you and me. And he chooses to involve us in carrying out his redemptive plans, these plans to seek and save the lost of this world. Even through programs like RE, God chooses to involve us in these plans. In other words, in other words, it came to me this way. In other words, God seeks a working relationship with each one of us. What sort of a working relationship do you have with that person at work that you work with? You might be saying, well, why did you have to raise that, Pastor David? Or you might be saying, it was a fantastic relationship. Well, this is an awesome relationship because you have a working relationship with the God of the universe if you belong to him this morning. A working relationship. And I also believe that in order for this to happen, we need to acknowledge and we need to adopt three, at least three main principles that we clearly see here in this Gospel of John. I want to talk about those briefly this morning. Three main principles that we need to acknowledge and adopt in order for us to really experience this working relationship with God. The first one is this. We need to acknowledge that God is initiator. God is the initiator. We need to acknowledge that God, through the Son of God, who became the Christ of God, is the architect and initiator of all creation, and as I said, including you and me. Acknowledge him as the initiator. Nothing has happened unless God initiated it. Isn't that amazing? You didn't come to Christ because one day you said, yep, I think I might just give Jesus a go. You came to Christ because God first initiated it. Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. Let me read from these fantastic verses from John 1, 1 to 4. In the beginning, God is initiator. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Listen to this. Through him all things were made. All things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. He's the initiator. The Apostle Paul describes uh, this initiating person and power of God in these Again, likewise, amazing words that we read from the scripture. Listen to how Paul describes this in Colossians chapter 1, 16 and 17. He says, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Try and get your head around that one. What an awesome passage of scripture. And not only is God, not only is this God of ours the initiator of all creation, but he's also the initiator of relationship. The initiator of relationship. God is a relational God. I'm not thinking I'm telling anything that you don't know, but it's good to be reminded of this. God is a relational God. Just look at the Trinity. You won't understand the Trinity, but here they are. From Genesis to Revelation, the three in one are there. 
In John 1, the triune God is there. He's here today. Amazing. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Not three separate gods, but three persons of one Godhead in perfect harmony, in perfect unity, and in perfect relationship. It's a working relationship and a relationship that works. We see it in the Trinity. Jesus is the supreme example of what this relationship looks like. Do you agree? He's the supreme, ultimate example of what this relationship looks like. And he often spoke of this relationship that he had with the Father. For example, in John 7 now, John 7, 16 to 17, he says this. Listen to these words. My teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Jesus is acknowledging the Father as the initiator. John 14 now, John 14 10, in, in verse 10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own initiative. But the Father abiding in me does his works. And we know that the hypocritical religious leaders of the day saw these words as blasphemy. But for those who came into relationship with God through Christ, these were words to them, words of life, words of light, words of hope. Words that they welcome with all their hearts. God, thank you. And maybe you feel like that this morning. Praise God if you do. Because I want to ask you, I wonder this morning if you have this certain hope in your own life today. This certain hope that you have relationship with God through Christ. You know, and did you know did you know that this infinite God of all creation seeks you out for a relationship with him? Yeah, he seeks you. Who, me? Yes, you. But does he really know who I am? Yes, he does. And in spite of that, he seeks you out for a relationship with him. Loves you beyond what you could ever comprehend. Isn't this good news? People need to hear this. God is the initiator of all creation, including relationships, which Jesus Christ, the Son of God, perfectly role modeled for each one of us. And he did this so that you and I might join him with the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit and experience a working relationship a working relationship that really works. But again, for this to happen, we also need to apply the second principle, and that is that we become obedient responders. God is initiator. We respond. God initiates. We respond. In John 1, there are clear examples of this principle at work. Let me just first read a little quote that I 
got out of the Bible Guide commentary and it says this, John tells us that Jesus is the word, eternal and divine. It was through Jesus that everything was created. Jesus is the source of life and of light for all people everywhere. So God takes the initiative and Jesus comes into the world. The word became flesh. We got that verse 14 of John 1. And he came as the light of the world. Jesus himself responded to God's initiative. And in fact, as we've already seen from the scripture, Jesus' whole life was a life of obedient response to the Father's initiative. His whole mission was a life, his whole, sorry, his whole, his, 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 his was a mission of submission. I love using that term. His whole life was a mission of submission. And I believe that's what God wants for each one of us. Our mission is to be in a submissive relationship to God. And Jesus was the prime example, the, the superior example of this whole mission of submission being in response to the Father's initiative, even to the point of death and death on the cross. So in terms of response then, just thinking about that principle, in terms of response, look at verses 9 to 11 in John 1. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world... And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. So in other words, these people, these first group, and I'll call them group one here, did not respond to Christ in that they rejected him. Therefore, this group one, they would not be entering into a working relationship God could not enter into a working relationship with these ones who rejected his son. And these ones who were called his own. Referring to the nation of Israel. However, however, it was not a universal rejection of him. Because we see in, verses tw in verse 12, it goes on to say this. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. They're the ones who are the true children of God, who accept Jesus Christ. So these ones, and we'll call them group two, so they did respond to God's initiative by receiving Christ and they were given the right to become his children, and therefore they entered into a working relationship that God invites us all to be involved in. He invites us all. God's not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to the knowledge of the truth. We know that. But tragically, we also know that not everyone will accept his invitation. And if you've got people like that, and I hope you have, in your life, in your family, in your circle of friends, you be praying for them. That's why God's got you there. Witnessing to them, praying for them. Because, as I said, tragically, not everyone will accept his invitation. 
I wonder if you have this morning. Just while I've got you all gathered, have you all accepted his invitation and received Christ into your life? You need to do that. You need to do that. You see, because the good news is this, that the invitation is still open. But I've got to say there's another however there. However, no one knows for how much longer that invitation is open. If you're here this morning, the invitation's open for you, but none of us can say for how much longer that invitation will stay open. And that's why I believe God's word says things like this. Through the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 6, 1-2, For he says, In the time of my favour, I heard you. In the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, listen to this, I te- well, read it. I tell you, now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. Now, it means right where you are. And you might be here this morning and your heart's going bum, 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 bum. If it's doing that, that's God speaking to you, I believe. And if there's something going on in your life, you need to put it right with God, right where you're sitting now. You see, because also in Hebrews 4, 7, there are these words. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. I think the most frightening thing is for people who get to hear the gospel over and over and over again. And it's almost as if they're inoculated against the message. Their hearts become so hard. It's kind of a religious thing. We just go to church on Sunday because that's the religious thing to do. But you don't know Jesus. Your hearts become hard. You've been coming to church for so long, you've been inoculated against the message. Folks, I think that's a frightening place to be in. And my fear is that there are people in churches all over the world who are in that position now. Hopefully not no one here. But if you're hearing his voice, don't harden your heart. It's a dangerous place to be in. You see, God initiates. We need to respond. The disciples, oh, John the Baptist, what a, what a guy. Wouldn't you like to have met John? Sit down with him and eat some grasshoppers and honey. What a guy. Heart for God. Message of God. You see, John, John the Baptist, was a responder. The disciples that Jesus came to and called were responders. All these entered into a working relationship with God. And folks, that's exactly what God wants for you and me longs to have a relationship with you. Look what he's done to open the way for that to happen. He even gave up his son to die on the cross so that your sin could be removed from you and he could have a relationship with you. You see, the third principle, the third principle that ensures that we are in a working relationship with God and you know what? It's the only relationship that works. 
Because, see, Jesus said in John 15, apart from me, you can do. Am I with you? Are you with me? Apart from me, you can do? Yeah, nothing. Thank you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Therefore, we also need to not only acknowledge that God initiates, respond to him, we also need to adjust or align ourselves to what God in Christ is doing in the world. We need to align ourselves to what Christ is doing, what God is doing through Christ in the world. And what is it? What is he that he is doing in the world? John 3.16, say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have the lasting life. Folk, we ought to know that by heart because that's a verse, that's the gospel in a nutshell and you can share that with people on the street. That's what he's doing in the world. But I love what the Apostle Paul says again. I think he brings this, uh, this brilliant summary of what God is doing in the world, so relevant for us today. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 20. Therefore, listen to these words, just soak in the words this morning. His words, soak in them. They'll do wonders in your heart. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. You're getting this? He's committed to us the message of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ Sorry, I'm reading it again. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's the message. That's what he's doing in the world. It's a ministry of reconciliation. He wants a working relationship with you and me and with everyone else. The invitation's open. And we see this kind of thing happening here in John chapter 1 that we're exploring this morning. And we're just skimming across the surface of it, aren't we, really? And we're seeing this happening in John chapter 1. God in Christ has taken the initiative. There has been a response and now his people are aligning themselves as God works in them. Listen to this. As God works in them both to will and to work for his good pleasure. A verse that came to us last week. What a fantastic verse from Philippians 2.13. It's the most amazing working relationship as God works in them, in this passage, as God works in them and through them and us today to accomplish his good will, his good pleasure, his good plans. We see this in John the Baptist. John the Baptist, by the Holy Spirit, aligns himself to what God is doing in the world. Look at this in, verses, uh, in verse 6 and 7. 
There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. John aligns himself, knows what God's doing in the world, aligns himself, not my will but yours be done, Lord. He's doing all that, aligning himself to what God's doing. We see it also happening. Uh, Sorry, we see John doing this in verse 35. He's pointing his disciples to Christ, aligning himself, pointing his disciples to Christ. And so he says things like this, for example, in in John 3.30. I love this, these words. He says, he must increase, but I must decrease. That's what it's about. It's him, not us. He must increase. I must decrease. The disciples we see in verses 35 to 40 are aligning themselves to what God is doing in the world. And so we see in verses 41 to 42, Andrew bringing his brother Simon, Simon Peter to Jesus. Andrew brings his brother. Listen to this, this verse. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Look what God did with Peter's life. And you might say it was because Andrew responded to Christ and aligned himself with what God was doing in the world. Philip, in alignment with God's work, brings Nathanael to Jesus. In verses 45 to 46, he wants us to align himself so that we might be his instruments, his vessel. So what happens, for example, if we don't align ourselves with what God is doing? What happens if we are not in alignment with God's will and work in our lives? I want to put up an illustration Guys, you probably won't get this. The girls probably will. There's two tyres up there on the screen. I want you to look at it. And I'm going to ask you this question. What's going on? What's the story of the tyre on the left side as you're looking at it? What's the story of this tyre? I'm not a tyre expert. Some of you might be. It's technical and stuff like that. But what's the problem? with this tyre on the left. Let me put it in simple terms to you. Let me put it in simple terms. You could say that that left tyre has been resisting. It's even been working against the direction that the car wants to go in, and as a result, it's worn itself out prematurely. You get that? So in other words, this left tyre was out of alignment with the car. What is the answer? What should have happened to this wheel in the first place? The answer is A. Girls, you know this answer. Guys, you're struggling. I know, I can see that. The car, the wheel needed A. Wheel alignment. A wheel alignment would have saved this tyre from scrubbing itself out, would have saved this this tyre from whatever it was doing, toe in, toe out, whatever. It was going the wrong way. The car wants to go this way. The tyre says, no, but I want to go this way. And so as as the car is going the way the car is meant to go, the tyre is resisting, working against the direction that the car is going, and it's scrubbing itself out. It's wearing itself out. It needed a wheel alignment to bring it in direction so that it would run true and right with the direction of the car. Correct? Look at the left side. Look at the right side. I can see 
But you'll all go out to the car park now when you go to get your car and you'll be looking at your tyres, won't you? Look at the right tyre. Now this right tyre, it's just about worn out. I don't think it's got a lot of mileage left on it, but it's done a lot of miles. But it, look at it, notice that it's worn true and it's worn even because it's been kept in alignment with the direction of the car. What's my point? It's really this. So just as a wheel alignment is critical for tyres in a car, so is a will alignment critical for us in our working relationship with God. Because unless we are freely and truly moving in the same direction that he is going and that we're not resisting him and we're not working against him, if we do that, we will wear ourselves out prematurely. However, here's some good news. Unlike that tyre, the left tyre that was damaged beyond repair and only good for the scrap heap, not so with you. Not so with you. It is never too late for God to restore you, to realign you in your working with him. You just need to allow him to do a will alignment in your life, with your life. Look what God did with Peter, who denied Christ three times. Peter was out of alignment. Look what God did to bring him back into alignment with himself. And look what Peter the Apostle accomplished because he was in an alignment, in a working relationship with God. So in closing then, in closing um, and looking at this passage here in John chapter 1, I, I want to just bring a summary that Warren Wiersbe I think does so well. Listen to what he says, Warren Wiersbe, he says this, John and Andrew were saved through the preacher John the Baptist. Peter found Christ because of Andrew's personal work. Philip was called by Christ personally and Nathaniel found Christ through the word and Philip's testimony. God uses different people and circumstances to bring people to his son. He is a God of infinite variety. Amen. And he is also the infinite God of a working relationship that he initiates with people just like you and me. That we might respond to him and that we might align ourselves to what he is doing in the world, including where God would have each of us go, be, do with him, with him in this whole message, in this whole ministry of, reconcil of reconciliation. Amen. Are you in alignment with his will? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. And yours is the living word, Lord. And thank you for touching us and speaking to us this morning. And Father, I just pray that if there be anyone here this morning and they know that they're out of alignment with you, that they will realign themselves, Lord, with your help. Lord, just meeting with you in prayer, listening to you, Lord, reading the scripture, Lord, all this, and having a heart that's open and receptive and thirsty and hungry for your truth. Father, you will, in, you will indeed see that we respond to your initiation, you, to your initiative. You'll, you'll, you'll see us realign ourselves if we spend time with you, meeting you in the word, praying, seeking your face, enjoying the fellowship of the saints. Lord, <clears throat> do those things we pray. 
so that this church, for example, will, will, will go ahead in leaps and bounds, just as you've called us to do. So we thank you and we commit ourselves to you now with a thankful heart for all that you've done, for all that you're doing and all that you're going to do as we work with you in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen.